welcome to episode number nine of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, Water. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I'm co-host of the show. I live on Vancouver Island on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, target shooter, reloader, and my farm's designated handyman. My professional background has allowed me to see pretty much every province and territory in Canada. It has also taught me to adapt to unexpected situations daily and learn quickly as I go. Hi, I'm uh, Gavin. I'm a regular panelist on the other CPP, Canadian Patriot Podcast, uh, an instructor with Ragnarok Tactical, volunteer, first responder, hunter, camper, business owner, CCFR field officer for the GTA, which is where I live. I'm Alan. My friends and family called me a safety nerd with uh, Just Cause. Uh, my background is medical first responder at St. John Ambulance, developed a mind for safety. I spent 17 years seeing people the worst. Uh, locksmith by trade, a fairly uninteresting job these days, but uh, on, in my spare slash free time, I teach first aid and I coach my friends and family to be better prepared. Awesome. We've got some great content for you in this episode. Uh, first off, our panel's growing. This is great. Uh, we're going to start off with some news articles related to preparedness in the outdoors. Uh, next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since the last episode. And then we're going to get into the main topic for the episode, water needs, storage, disinfection, and its role in preparedness. So well, let's cover off some news articles there first, Ian. Okay, for sure. We had the uh, just an update on that windstorm we had on the West Coast here. Uh, the first article I think I gave in the last episode says about 150,000 people without power. Well, the final tally was about 756,000 people without no power. So that's pretty much a third of the province, uh, population-wise anyway. Uh, I put a couple uh, articles in the show notes here. Uh, interesting thing that did come out of it, though, is actually a really good article written um, by just a pair of non-prepping types on Salt Spring Island and how they kind of improvised, adapted, and overcame. It's actually really well done for them, uh, considering what they had on hand. I thought it was actually a, a nice job on their part. I mean, everything from water collection to how they dealt with the uh, lack of uh, heat, everything else, and uh, they may do really well. So I thought it was, uh, it was certainly worth including the show notes. Awesome. So it's worthwhile uh, checking out then if you're going through the show notes. Uh, have a look at the website. Uh, I've got an article here from December the 8th, so slightly dated, but I thought it'd be a good one to, to get some conversation going. Uh, it's based from uh, Global News, and it's uh, Halton Region's Medical Officer of Health has issued a boil watery advisory for parts of Milton, Ontario, uh, following a water main break. Uh, the advisory is expected to remain in place until at least Monday, so that was uh, two days <laughs> they're expecting it to stay in place for. Uh, affected residents are advised to boil water for at least one minute and use bottled water for drinking, brushing teeth, and preparing food. Uh, it's still safe to bathe in the water for adults and older teens, but the water should not be swallowed. Uh, special care should also be taken when washing dishes and dishwashers should reach at least 60 degrees Celsius or higher for the dishes to be safely disinfected. So I wanted to uh, add this in as a news article. It's something that, that tends to happen quite often and uh, something that you might want to build into your preps. It's something you might not think about. Uh, and then all of a sudden, a main breaks near you and, well, now you got to do something about it. Sure. Happened to me here in the summer when we had family over for the weekend and uh, woke up in the morning to the to the news that we were under a boil water advisory and there were eight or ten of us in the house and my uh, my better half looking at me going okay now what and I said well now we got into the water storage that we have in the basement and she said we have water in the basement I said not anymore here. 
Yeah. Good I mean, especially uh, in the winter. I mean, pipes burst all the time. I mean, I. Sure, happened happened in in London here where I live. Just this morning, water main broke, and fortunately, the their grid system worked out that it just it doesn't result in the boil water, but it could very yeah. well uh, if it goes in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's not always something that uh, that you're expecting, right? Just a piece of pipe bursts, and all of a sudden, you've got a boil water on your hands, and or boil water advisory on your hands. If I can talk tonight, and uh, yeah, you're not uh, you're not thinking about it, and it's a good thing to have a couple cases of water in uh, in storage. Interestingly enough, a lot of those boil, boil water advisories, of course, it's the simplest thing to do is just boil it for five minutes or whatever, but it doesn't actually have to reach boiling temperature to actually kill off most of what you're worried about. But I think for most people that don't have a thermostat or a thermometer or anything else to play with, I'm sure that's probably the easiest thing to do. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Rolling boil for a while and away you go. Yeah, set it and forget it for at least a little bit. Just Not for too, too long. long. Yeah, yeah <laughs> come back to just nothing, yeah. <laughs> well, we actually uh, have a, one of those big blue, like, ceramic-looking camping kettles type of thing. We During the power hours, we just threw that on top of the uh, the wood stove just to make sure we had hot water for dishes and everything else we kind of needed hot water for. I guess if it went long enough, we probably would have had to resort to, to cloth bathing or something at some point. But Yeah, that's, uh, at the hunt camp, that's kind of what we do is we put a giant pot, fill it with snow when we get there, and put it on top of the oil heater, and then it kind of melts the snow, and then we've got lukewarmish water for washing our face and stuff oh, that works good call let's move we'll move into what we've done lately for our preps well i guess that's me first that so i've been uh working like a dog out of the last 16 days i think i've been at work for 13 of them so i just got back yesterday so i haven't really done a whole lot of stuff around the house but as i was sitting there bored out of my tree a couple nights i bought and sold a few things on cgn or getting nuts um other than that, the only real preparedness stuff I did was I went online and uh, went shopping for a thousand gallon water containers for that uh, rainwater collection system I set up on, I think, our first joint episode. Yeah, you were talking about that the first episode, yeah, about uh, having the rain coming off the chicken coop, was it? Yeah, well, we've got a chicken coop and a hay shed that I've got set up now, and uh, each one's got a 50 gallon kind of tub on the bottom where the you know the alpacas drink out of one and I fill the chicken waters out of the other. But the problem is, is that it's constantly spilling over right now. I mean, uh, after like a one night of rain, it could go from empty to full easy. So it's there's a lot of water going off the edge there that I'd rather just collect than just see go bye bye. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. For myself, I, uh, I stocked up uh, my water supply at Costco, grabbed a few cases of water. They're the, uh, the 40 packs there. It's about uh, two bucks and 80 cents per package. So I grabbed a few to, to throw in the basement, uh, moved a bunch of uh, dried firewood. We have out in the back shed into uh, the house and the garage. Uh, now we're ready for the snow if it uh, ever decides to show up around here. You can have some of mine. We got, uh, we got five inches this morning and we're due for another six or seven this afternoon. I'll, I'll take it. I mentioned to get the snowmobile out. <laughs> uh, oh, my turn. Um, also, also stocked up on cases of water. The local no frills had uh, a couple of skids out for uh, 88 cents a case, which was a, which was, I thought a pretty good deal. So I went and filled my car two or three times and did some cycles. And now I have water for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, my job changed a little bit. I last time in the office, a little bit more time on the road again. So I, uh, Changed my um, changed up my gear and how I how I carry my kind of my EDC kit the the tools that I uh, use to make myself feel better anyways whether they actually get me home or not but uh, changed up how I carry that and how I organize it and uh, started on a little um, little project for uh, using pencil cases which are um, unobtrusive easy to keep around and uh, don't attract a lot of attention. Um, updated my uh, my power outage plan. We uh, we had a power outage a couple of days ago, a couple of nights ago, a week. 
I don't know. Anyways, last week sometime, uh, power was out for about six or seven hours, but uh, happened to go off, you know, five in the morning as we were getting up, getting ready for work. And um, it was a good time to test it where I discovered that, you know, all the flashlights around are easy to find and then uh, move my, uh, move, the, move the, the, the candles and such around to, to make it, uh, um, make it a little bit more convenient if the power were going up for longer. Possibly, so we'll move the cabin. Yeah, well, I didn't do a whole lot, uh, but uh, I beefed up my very small uh, experimental indoor garden. And by experimental, I don't mean pot. Um, <laughs> it's one of these sort of self-watering, and it's got lights on a timer kind of a thing. Uh, it only had three plants in it kind of just to see how it works, and it started to work decently. So I've, I've now got 12 going, and just to see it. Eventually, when I get a bigger place with more space, I'd you know, expand it, but... For now, you know, it's enough to grow a, a few little, you know, vegetables and stuff like that as a, as a sort of experiment. Uh, and then uh, added some more uh, search and rescue training uh, to my knowledge base. Uh, took an intro to search manager, resource manager, crew leader, root supply. So it's sort of just very basic level stuff. But, you know, when bad things happen, people need to go out and find people that are missing. So... Awesome. Can never have too much education for that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. So maybe we'll uh, move into the main topic of the show. It's uh, water needs, storage, and disinfection. That's uh, like bare minimum to keep you alive. Any more than that, if you're actually you know doing things like chopping wood and foraging for food and maintaining any kind of semblance of life, you need a whole lot more than that. Yeah. And I mean, not, not just for drinking, but I mean, you know, cleaning up your dishes, going to the bathroom, if you've got any pets or livestock, you know, cooking, et cetera, you're going to need some water of varying levels of, you know, disinfectants to, to kind of go along with those things. I think a lot of that stuff they talk about with the two liters per day too, I think that, you know, whether you're in the, the high Arctic or the desert, I mean, that's going to change a lot. Of, like you said, also as well as how much you're working versus sitting still on the couch. Yeah. Well, I imagine if you're, you know, in a emergency situation, you're hopefully working a little hard and not sitting around on your butt. Unless, I guess, you've prepped everything and then you can just sit back and, I guess, watch the world burn. Well, I think you'd, you'd be surprised how many people would just sit on the couch and just wait wait for somebody else to do something for them. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Sit and watch your cell phone and, and wait for someone to show up. Yeah. Someone's coming. It's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why you have people like that with search and rescue. Someone's like, I'll have to just sit back and wait. Yeah. Yeah, This this FEMA camp is a great place to hang out. (laughs) I'm sure that's what they'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, So the role of preparedness for water. Well, I would say it's key. It's just uh, certainly not as exciting as talking about going to the range or what what toys you might have bought on CGN lately or anything else. I mean, uh, like they always say, just try going without to see how much you actually need water. You can bring water to the range, though, right? That's that's pretty important. That's yeah. true. You need to have a supply yeah. for that. Plus, yeah, even the, the trip to the range, you want to make sure you have bottles of water with you, too. Oh. Yeah. Unless you're lucky and you can shoot on your own property, and then you've probably already got water at the range. <laughs> true, yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. This well, making me thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, I would definitely say, yeah, water is, is key. I mean, I... Uh, I was on a a trip to Australia once and uh, our van broke down in the middle of the outback. And uh, I mean, I had 
I had several liters of water on me, but until you're in a situation where you're not entirely sure how long you're going to be out there and it's really hot, you don't realize just how thirsty you get. And then you'll take a few sips and then you go, oh, I need to conserve this. And so you put it away. And then like not even a minute later, you're like, man, I'm really thirsty. And you take another sip and then you're like, uh oh, <laughs> right. I'm conserving. I'm conserving. Well, there's that whole mental thing too, where you're telling yourself, I don't have a lot of water. So now you're, you're extra thirsty because you realize that there's only yeah. so much to, to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot to be said too, is how, what kind of physical condition you're in too, is going to dictate how fast you go through water too. If you're, if you're, you know, straight, you know, what do you call it? Stressing yourself out just by getting up off the couch, so to speak, uh, versus, you know, like maybe a little better shape, but, uh, certainly going to affect your consumption rate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I don't like all of the winter. So yeah, there's things to be said on both sides. <laughs> well, it's certainly our first concern when the power goes out because we don't have city water and, uh, so no pressurized lines or anything. We have a little accumulator at the bottom of the hill. So the power goes out is kind of our first concern to make sure we have enough water to last the next little while. Um, uh, especially if it's below freezing, we don't want any pipes to freeze or anything else. I think it's probably different if you're in the city as well. You've got the pressurized water tower that has the, you know, accumulator up in the air and gives you solid pressure too. When the, uh, when we had that power outage in 2003, I lived on the 25th floor of my apartment building downtown. And, uh, when I was out three days helping, helping people that needed more, I did, I got home and the generators had been shut down to refueling. Um, after day two, the generator didn't have enough power to get water up to my apartment. I was, uh, so I, I looked up at the stairs and I realized that there was no water up there and I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going up there tonight. 25 floors, 25 floors, straight up, three later, not happening. But definitely, yeah, definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, something you take for granted, right? You just turn the tap on, the water flows, and you, you don't really think about it until power goes out and suddenly that water's not flowing. Yep. We're uh, in the same kind of boat as you, uh, Ian, where we're on a, a well system. Power goes out, we got no water unless you can get power to the pump, right? Which is a good thing we got the, the backup generator to power the, the pump for us. But same thing, you, you don't. Uh, you don't think about, well, now what? Yeah, exactly. Well, for us too, I mean, uh, rainwater collection is fine and dandy, but I mean, five months of the year here, believe it or not, on the West Coast, well, especially where we are anyway, we have actually zero rain for, for months on end. And it's actually kind of hard to believe when you think of the stereotypical view of it. But I mean, we get so bad out here during the summertime, they actually have like no chainsaw bands and everything else because they're so afraid of just sparks off the chainsaw and everything else. Um, so it gets pretty extreme here this summer with no rain. Wow. Yeah. Last summer we, uh, we were pretty dry for, for actually pretty much the whole summer. We got the pond out the back and it was almost down to nothing, which hasn't happened for the, well, I've been here five years and I've never seen it get down that low. So it's, uh, yeah, no rain, no water and something you got to think about. No, but I mean, luckily, you know, being so close to the city, I generally don't have to, to worry about that. We've almost always got water and I live fairly close to the, the lake if needed. And the river is right behind my house. But uh, up at the hunt camp uh, in the winter, we don't have running water at all. So we've got to pack it all in. So, we, you know, if we go up there for a week, we've got to bring every every milliliter of water we need. We've got to bring it in. And you got to yeah. keep it from freezing. <laughs> yeah. That too, yeah. yeah. We're the same way at the hunt camp I go to. There's no running water there. So you got to bring yeah. it in with you. Yeah. Well, hopefully not too many people in emergency want to eat the fish out of Lake Ontario there. I remember that safe eating guy that we used to get. To You're Thailand. allowed uh, one a year. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little mercury among friends, right? Oh, yeah. yeah.
So the fish has three eyes, nothing to worry about. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's extra protein. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if eating the coyotes that live along the banks are any better because they're probably eating the fish. So. Oh, yeah. At least they're easy to see because they're glowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should we talk about disinfection there? Yeah, let's get into uh, disinfection. So uh, as far as disinfecting water, there's all kinds of different ways you can go about it. There's different uh, schools of thought on it. So we figure we'll, we'll touch on a few that we're all kind of familiar with and um, maybe try to dispel some myths as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, a couple of ones I came up with. Uh, well, first of all, like bleach, obviously, uh, that's kind of something everybody has. Make sure you get the unscented type if you're going to actually like use this as a backup plan. Like uh, it has to be unscented in a, a certain type of uh, percentage and everything else. But bleach only lasts a year or so, so it does have to be rotated out. Um, but there's tons of tons of uh, information online about how to use bleach to disinfect water. But the general rule is like uh, two drops per liter. Um, if you really want to go extra cheap on it, I think for about eight bucks, you can get a bag of pool shock, which is the exact same stuff. It's like concentrated powdered bleach. Um, I put a couple of links in the show notes to a, a great video by a guy I've met a couple of times, uh, HFX Prepper. Um, he's actually got a good video on how to turn that into household bleach and then uh, actually how to use it for disinfecting water. So He's got a few good uh, good episodes on his YouTube channel there too, so it's worth checking out. Yeah, and I uh, was going to mention the Aqua Tabs. So that's something you might want to uh, add to your kit. You can get a, a little package of them. Uh, it comes with fifty tablets. Each tablet's good for a liter of water. Um, nice, small, light. Got a pack here. If anybody's watching, you can see what they look like. Uh, they don't have to be in the box. You can take them out of the box or in small little foil uh, wrappers inside, and just throw them in your kit, and you've got them. And it's good for at least a liter of water. Yeah, I bought, uh, actually back when I still lived in Ontario at Zares, uh, the pharmacy section, they used to sell the uh, tincture of iodine, I think it's about two bucks. And uh, we actually ended up using it a lot for uh, like uh, making a sterile solution for animal usage. Um, you can use it as a topical anesthetic, but you can also make it basically the color of a weak tea. And it's actually good for like uh, using for medical purposes and everything else. It's actually uh, good, but it also sterilizes water. So it's kind of a good thing to use. Uh, I've used the, the tabs and iodine while, while backpacking. But I think iodine it makes it, a little, it doesn't taste as well as I think no. people would like. No, I mean you can also get the the iodine tablets uh, as well rather than just the, the liquid form. But yeah, it's uh, not my preference. <laughs> but it, uh, <laughs> it really works. You're, you're still here. Yeah, it, like it works, but <laughs> not my preference. I would rather pick something else and save that for medical emergencies, and then when everything runs out. Sure, I'll go to Ida. Fair enough. I uh, threw this next one in here. Did you guys hear about this next point here, the SOTUS? No, I was wondering no. what that was all about. Okay, so actually it's something that some doctor came up with for the third world usage because it's ludicrously cheap to do and super easy. Um, works obviously better if you're in a place with lots of sun. but uh, So it stands for solar distillation, but there's actually no distillation involved with, in it whatsoever. But there's actually a book online in the show notes as well. It's free. Um, but basically what you do is you just take a two liter bottle uh, as long as it's been used for like drinkable liquids beforehand, but you just throw filtered water in there, uh, throw it up on a roof and leave it there for 24 to 48 hours, depending on the sunlight level. And, uh, basically just the sunlight alone with the refraction action from the, uh, the plastic bottle kills any protozoa that are going to cause intestinal distress. So if, uh, as long as it's been filtered, that'll take care of the bugs. I remember seeing oh. something like that a couple of years ago. They were using uh, little pieces of or little seg segments of tin roof or something that were. Um, it was a, a a kit that was being distributed through uh, Africa, 
and it was a bunch of water bottles, it was a bunch of bottles and this tin roof frame contraption they could put out in the sun and uh and do something similar to that i don't know if it's the same thing i'd have to read up on it but yeah it pretty much is because basically it relies on it relies on the ultraviolet radiation from the sun to kill most of the bugs but also heats up the water of course sitting on a on a, on a hot roof in africa yeah. or yep. you know the gta in summertime type of thing i mean it's gonna be getting hot enough that it's basically the equivalent of a boil water uh, action right. so it uh, it certainly works well, but it's actually a fascinating read. It's only I think about fifty pages, so it's it's worth your while just to to leave through when times are good, I guess. Yeah, I was gonna say because yeah, UV lights are something that I've seen too. I've even seen some of those fancier water bottles with a UV light built into the cap, so you can kind of hit the button and zap your water, and away you go. Yeah, I had a, a UV system put in when I moved in here with the the well water. There was nothing at all before in the house, so I thought. You know what? May as well have that added in. Just a little bit of peace of mind, right? Why not? And it just runs away once a year. I got to replace the UV light and uh, covers the whole house off. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to talk about Berkey's? I think you're the resident expert, aren't you, Ian? <laughs> buy my stuff off you, so I don't know. Um, yeah, so anyways, we uh, we bought a Berkey back when we lived in uh, Barrie, Ontario, actually, and uh, because the water was pretty hard there um, and it didn't taste the world's best anyway. So we ended up getting the Berkey just for, for drinking usage. But, of course, it's the filters themselves are actually made out of uh, – well, the old ones were ceramic. The new ones are actually like a, almost like a burnt, dried coconut husk compressed. And basically it filters the water so well that um, – it takes out any protozoa or any sort of bacteria out of it as well. So they started using it in third world countries and now they use it obviously in North America just for a, a home usage. And it's, uh, it's just on the counter year round, but it also in the, in case you had to use uh, rainwater or whatever have you, it's an instant kind of, uh, filter and, uh, virus removal. There's also attachments you can get for it to actually take the, uh, the, uh, fluoride out of the water. You know what that fluoride does? <laughs> yeah. Tinfoil hat time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> turns, the, turns the frogs gay or something like that but yeah yeah and uh so yeah definitely i mean there's there's ways to to go about it on the cheap as well i mean the the main cost of the berkey is the filters but by the same token that what they charge you for those uh stainless steel buckets is kind of ludicrous so again on youtube quick quick search on youtube you'll come up with two pails and berkey filters and you can do the same thing for probably about half the cost but buy your cool. filters from eric <laughs> i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got some other things here uh point wise uh, the sawyer and life straw figured i'd uh, mix them in together because they're relatively the same kind of idea uh, life straw is one that i'm familiar with i've seen the sawyer but i've never actually used it well okay so i got the i've had the life straw as well the life straw is like kind of like a almost like a one-time use uh there you go there it uh, is you don't have a whole lot of uh gallons of water but enough to get you where you're going for like say a bug out bag or a um a short-term emergency problem is it the muddier the water the faster it kind of clogs up and you can't really backwash it um and where's the sawyer which is this one right here um 20 bucks at walmart in the states i think about 20 bucks on amazon in canada and um it's good for about ten thousand gallons and um did they actually even like takes the the instructions right down to the simplest there which way to flow the water It's got a syringe to push it through, a uh, foldable bag that basically you can hang like a medical uh, saline bag, and then uh, you can take a 3 8 inch vinyl PVC tube and drain it into a bottle or whatever have you. Um, it can be backwashed, so if you got really muddy water, you can clean it out just by running the, the syringe, just take it from one end, take it to the other, backwash it, and then the filter's clean again. Um, 
works great. It, it weighs about an ounce. It's there's nothing to it. Wow, I've life strides with my kid. I've used those before. I've, I, I like that story though. I'm gonna I'm gonna find one and try it. Well, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's the same cost as a life straw, but it, I think it filters about ten times as much water theoretically. Yeah, well, the life straw will do a thousand liters or about two hundred and sixty gallons. Yeah, and so this is it. And that, ten. yeah, that, yeah, ten thousand. <laughs> it's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. So it's a uh, bang for your buck. That's why I kind of said the, the life straw is a little bit obsolete. I mean, it still works, but it's just it's not as cost efficient or whatever as this thing. So Eric, yeah. when are you going to start selling uh, the Sawyers? So, I can buy uh, so check out Rapid Survival tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> but also the uh, interesting thing on the Sawyers here, they have the little uh, you know O-ring that you'd find on a garden hose or whatever, because they're also meant to be uh, screwed right into a two-liter bottle. So you fill a two-liter bottle with whatever water you want to filter, uh-huh. and you can actually squeeze a two-liter bottle as well. Um, so they're like, almost like a Swiss Army knife because, like I said, the attachments are a standard size for um, the same stuff you'd use to collect maple syrup. Run water, uh, booze. If you're like, if you're a uh, if a homebrew guy, you can use the same PVC uh, tubing you use for uh, stills and stuff. And it's uh, it's very versatile for sure. And again, tons of videos on YouTube on how to use those. So yeah, life yeah. straws are going on sale. The clean out stock and Sawyer's coming in. <laughs> well, you, you, uh, you you might want to check out those MSR filters I was talking about too. I keep one of those in my my bug out bag because they're pretty handy. Uh, They've got like a little foam pre-filter to get all the really heavy stuff when you sort of chuck it into a mud puddle and then a ceramic filter and then charcoal inside and they'll screw onto a Nalgene or they've got adapters if you want to put it onto a Camelback. Um, and they're, they're great for, for backpacking and camping and all of that in, in remote areas. Actually, you're kind of the subject matter expert on the, uh, the Camelbacks there, Gavin. Um, can you explain to the, the viewers that may not be familiar with that? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I guess it's a it's a hydration bladder is the, the technical term for it. It's basically a a bag full of water that you put on your back inside of a backpack or a standalone unit, and then it's got like a giant hose that you drink out of. So you can store large quantities of water on your person and be active and go for a run or a hike. Um, that's typically when I when I go to the range. That's usually what I'll use because I'll have my my plates on, and then in the back of my plate carrier, I've got one of these hydration bladders. So it doesn't take up a whole lot of space for how much water you can carry, and it's very convenient. Yeah, that's what I was getting at was the uh, the plate carrier is one way to carry it, but also even those five eleven backpacks have a little uh, slot in the in the yeah the goes right up against your back that fit in the uh, the hydration pack as well. Yeah, a lot of people uh, use that to to put a, a laptop in, but it can also be used to carry a hydration bladder. What were you saying there, uh, Alan? I think every one of my backpacks that I've had in the last ten years has. Is designed to have that has a little pass through for the for the hose and or for the drinking yeah. tube. And, and most decent backpacks these days will because they're they're fairly popular. Uh, and there's a, a bunch of different brands. Camelback was kind of the original one, and now there's what platypus, and then there's like the you know thousand Chinese knockoff versions. But uh, I, I highly recommend them. Do you, uh, just so you know, also that I hate to plug the Sawyer again, but here I go. So uh, in line for the hydration pack, actually, if you if, yeah. you, if you have to put skunky water in it, the, this basically fits right on your shoulder on the uh, the backpack plate carrier, or whatever. There's actually like you can get Molly attachments for it, and it go right in line for the, uh, the yeah. The thing. That like is one of the, the really cool things about that one. I've yeah, so you can it. suck yeah. it right through. It uh, works really well. Uh, awesome. but how do you guys keep the hydration bladders from getting all skunky? Like, do you have to actually like dry them and then kind of like make sure they hang and everything else? Or yeah, they're they're kind of a pain in the ass to to clean, to be honest. But uh, like, if you buy like they do sell kits, 
flexible wire brush that goes down the tube but i just plan to replace the tube every year and yeah i mean if all you do is drink water out of it it's not going to get too gross too quickly um especially if you use it frequently uh the biggest thing i find is the bag gets kind of gross so you just wash that out with you know soapy water and then just make sure you thoroughly rinse it because you don't want diarrhea from drinking soap <laughs> and then you just let it dry and that's the hard part is finding something that'll keep the bag open so you can let it dry and they they also sell racks that are designed for that but i just use uh one of those uh, paper towel roll holder things in my kitchen to hold it open it up and dry it I think the best one I've seen for water bladders, and I know they went out of business a while ago, so I don't think they're kicking around anymore, but was the uh, the Geiger rig. It was uh, a pressurized water bladder, but yeah. what you do is you could open it up. The, the top was just kind of like a Ziploc kind of setup, but a little bit yeah. more tougher. And then you could un unlock that part of it, flip it inside out, and it was actually dishwasher safe. Huh. Tossing the dishwasher. That's actually a pretty cool idea. Yeah, it was really neat. But uh, yeah, the, uh, a couple of years ago, they went out of business, and I don't know. I heard rumors that another company had picked them up, but I I don't know if it ever actually went through or if they just completely ended. Yeah, because I mean, I've I've got the the fairly wide mouth Camelback ones, which are yep. which are great, unless you're trying to fill them up while they're laying flat, then water goes everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, even that massive hole isn't quite big enough to like get my hand in so i mean you can't really scrub them back right unless you use some sort of a brush but i just hate buying a a single use tool yeah, yeah. but it is what it is right oh exactly if it's the best thing you got then that's what you got yeah. that's kind of what you're talking about with ellen is like three it's pvc type of thing for the you just change out yeah yeah there's a... and then just put the uh put the little the little bite valve on the other end and the uh the screw on it i think i like mine is not mine is a um adipose band and it's kind of a like a barbed fitting on the on the the bladder end and the bite fit the bite valve just pressure fits yeah. again so you replace it with a few more feet a, a couple of times a year every year or whatever and i find as long as yeah. i don't let it as long as i don't let it sit right if i replenish, replenish with fresh water then i don't it doesn't get too stagnant but yeah i find the same and yeah, the, the hoses are fairly inexpensive. Even if you buy branded hoses as opposed to your own, just PVC tubing, which is basically what it is. It's, it's and yeah, they're easy there. They're just, yeah, little sort of ridges on it that hold it in place good enough. So a couple other ways to do it on the cheap, I guess. Uh, we were talking about this, I think, too, when I was in uh, another power outage there, uh, reading the, uh, the hotel room. Uh, <laughs> Reusable coffee filters, those plastic ones, they are the gold ones. Uh, you can obviously use paper coffee filters if you need to like filter water in a rough way. Uh, strainers, colanders from the dollar store, everything else, just to get the, the rough stuff out of the water before you kind of filter it for real. There's there's something good, to think about as well. Good first step, yep. Uh, one thing I kind of just made a note here, but I wasn't sure how to explain it, but if somebody wants to make a homemade pail filter, I mean, uh, that's another thing that's like an internet search away, but basically take a five gallon pail, uh, kind of put about four holes in the bottom. Uh, the material we came up with was, it's actually a tea bag from Costco, the the green tea, Ito N or whatever the brand name is. It's plastic, so it doesn't, won't go bad. And it's got super duper fine mesh, obviously for steeping tea, but uh, if you you know, kind of glue those or test those to the bottom of the holes, put, uh, you know, sand, uh, I don't know, coarse rock, charcoal, thick rock, or like uh, like coarser rock on top. You can certainly take care of 
the bulk of your filtration needs before you actually put it to your real filter, which will extend the life of your real filter as well. Yeah, oh, all good options. Yeah. Or yeah, you, cool. can, you can even stretch like pantyhose over tubing and stuff like that as like a, a rough filter to get like, you know, big stuff out of there. Yeah, I've got tons in my sock drawer. Oh, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's another yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so maybe we'll move into storage. Uh, so some options to actually store the water because it's, uh, it's good to talk about how to uh, how to be able to consume it and, and such, but you got to have a way to store it as well. Uh, it's one of the one of the ways that I've uh, I've seen done and uh, actually sell this uh, product as well is the water bob. Uh, so it holds about a thousand gallons of water. That's three hundred and seventy eight liters. Uh, it's designed to work in your bathtub. So you just throw it in the bathtub. And it's a barrier between like your bathtub and the water itself, and it's got a little pump on the top, so you can pump water out. Uh, it makes life a little bit easier because that's a heck of a lot of water. But uh, one thing as well is people always assume that it needs to be in a bathtub. It doesn't need to be in a bathtub. It can actually support itself outside of the bathtub. Just put it in a bathtub, gives it a spot to sit, and makes it a little bit easier to work with. But it you got to throw it somewhere else if you can. Yeah, that makes good sense. Did you I saw that on uh, Doomsday Preppers. I want to say I was watching. Yeah, that and I'm not fucked. Well, I wonder what at the beginning of the movie, The Road with Vigo Mortensen there, the first thing he does is fill out the tub when he sees some unknown disaster happening on the horizon. So hopefully he had a water bob at the time. But uh, the, did you show what the, they look like. Yeah, I was gonna oh. say, did you show the camera? I'll hold it. Uh, there you go. If I can get it upside right. But uh, yeah, that's the box there. And yeah, it's definitely a prop show this time. So it is, yep. Yeah, but uh, I was going to say, like, the use of this freestanding, like, is it like a thick plastic or how does it actually yeah. support itself? Yeah, so it's a thicker plastic for freestanding. So it's, it's if you can put it in a bathtub, that's that's obviously ideal. But um, I've been, ta- I've talked to the, the owner and the, the designer of it, and he said, if you want to put it out freestanding, go ahead. Mm. It'll uh, it'll be fine. Cool. Yeah. So the water you bought, Alan. Um, I have... a a ton like an absolute ton of water bottles downstairs in the basement now after that uh, after that big sale but um water catchment is kind of my next my next level of prepping i've got a lot of roof line and uh i want to capture that in barrels um then find some way to do that pre-filter so that when i do get that sawyer i'm not i'm uh, i'm extending the life of it as long as possible i had yes. rain barrels the last place i lived and it was it was great even just for watering the lawn when the uh when it didn't rain often enough is one thing that I haven't set up and I need to, but it's one. Of, it's called a first flush diverter, and I think uh, Engineer Seven Seven Five on YouTube does a big thing on it. But basically, it's uh, something that fills a PVC pipe with all the scuzzy stuff that comes off the roof first, and then once it fills up, then the theory is that just nothing but water comes down into the the storage tub, cool. which and he just uh, it's like a trap. He just empty out the trap once in a while. Um, yeah, but the other thing with barrels too is that we've run into is especially on uneven terrain here is. Once you join a bunch of them together, they're not very easy to move around, especially if you're using PVC or something. So I guess a flexible hose between the two would actually work better. That's what we found anyway. Yeah, I'd want to want to make sure that it's something that could be compartmentalized so that if a, a um, one barrel became compromised, it wouldn't affect the rest of the system. Yeah, a lot of shutoffs and unions. It's been a lot of a lot on hardware. That's what we found so far. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be more. That'd be more fun. Yeah. So, who came another one here? So, uh, hot water tanks. That's one that uh, you'll see and hear about quite a lot in the uh, the prepper world. Uh, you know, it's it holds a significant amount of water, but uh, the one thing that people always seem to forget about is the fact that uh, there's a drain on the bottom, and uh, it's not always operational. So, you want to make sure that that's uh, that's maintained and, and actually works. Uh, as well, 
the tanks will fill up with a bunch of sludge if you don't flush them out every once in a while. Uh, so not exactly something you want to be drinking uh, if you're not maintaining the uh, the tank and cleaning the sludge out. Uh, and as well, uh, if you're you're running a, an anode rod in it and it's aluminum, remember the water is going to be contaminated with aluminum. So you know, a couple of a couple of things to keep in mind there for, for hot water tanks. I know it's a popular thing that a lot of preppers think uh, you know the power goes out or something goes on and I'm just going to use my hot water tank and I'm not going to worry about anything else. Well, we'll make sure that the tank is actually maintained because if you don't, it's it's not going to supply safe water for you. Yeah, my hot water tank rusted years ago. It was uh, the water that came out of it was not clean. Yeesh. I, uh, I flushed mine out uh, when I first moved into the house, and it, it wasn't pretty. And we ended up putting the new one in, and I clean it out about every six months or so. Yeah. I have a legit question for you guys, but we didn't live in Ontario long enough for it to uh, come into play. But we always had a hot water tank rental. Was that kind of province wide, or was that kind of just a local thing where I lived? That's I don't think anybody buys hot water tanks anymore in Ontario anyways. Everyone I know rents them. Okay, because uh, that was actually the only place I've ever seen that does the rental thing. And so, like, do they actually replace them every 15 years? Uh, I, I ask for mine to be replaced every about five years just because I'm paying for it. I might as well. Okay. Yeah, I think I it's just, one of those things that most people don't really know that they're doing it. They just pay their water bill. Okay. Yeah, yeah that would all kind of threw us off. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's weird. He wouldn't own one. And it became cost prohibitive. We actually did the research. And, of course, it was actually – with our budget in place, I guess it's just cheaper to let it sit for a while, but I guess eventually we would have changed it out. I guess I'm the odd Ontarian out. I, I bought mine. Um, somebody put office cooler <laughs> jugs in there. Like, uh, what's the cost uh, kind of ratio on office cooler water versus like, you know, buying two liters on sale or whatever? Is it fairly cheap? Uh, the bottle itself is not, isn't a huge investment. I think the last time I bought any significant number of them, they were about five bucks a piece and then they're about $3 to fill. So overall fairly cost effective to hold, you know, five gallons of water. Okay. I guess the trick there would be getting the, the water out if, uh, if you don't have one of the, of the water cooler. Any, any, uh, any, um, place that fills it like the Culligan store or whatever, they actually have a little manual pump. Um, so you don't uh, actually have to have a cooler. You can just set it, set it on its on its back with the neck up, and then there's a little manual pump, and it's it looks almost like a soap dispenser. That little pump has a hose that goes down to to drain it. I guess if uh, well, for the listeners too, if you're gonna like actually fill your own jugs of water to storage, you gotta make sure you uh, rotate them. There is some products out there I think that'll allow you to store it for a little while longer than you would expect. But as a general, you don't want to get them uh, gummed up with sludge down the road, so you'd want to change out your uh, rotate your water supplies for sure because i think it, it's one thing if you buy it uh, pre-packaged like you know the office cooler jugs or the uh, the water on sale or everything else but i think if you're just gonna buy a barrel and fill it with tap water eventually you have to change that out oh absolutely yeah. even the even the bottled water you're going to want to rotate out eventually yeah and also make sure that you're not storing on concrete and keep it keep it isolated so it's not picking up whatever else might be in the environment that's pretty thin plastic Ironically, you're going to need water to clean out your water storage container. <laughs> this is why preparation is better than reaction. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, I think if it sits too long, too, it gets kind of flat tasting, which is, I think, just it's just oxygen gassing off, isn't it? Uh, from what yeah, understand. you need to reoxygenate it, which you can kind of do by like shaking it up. But if it's yeah. in a big, big container, that's really hard to do. Yeah, or like slosh it up a bit or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get a big straw and just blow bubbles in it. <laughs> there you go. An enormous soda stream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing to keep in mind is uh, usage rates. So if uh, if you're going to be using your toilets, you know, five gallons of flush, looking at some low flow uh, toilets might be an idea. Once it's time to yeah. change them out, right? 
Or uh, fill, a, fill a two-liter bottle with water and put it in your tank. That'll reduce the, the amount there. Oh, there you and, go. Yeah, a little offset. Yeah, we put or, a brick in or it. Or a yeah, yeah, we put a brick in ours, but it, the problem is it yeah. really changed the way it flushed it. Actually, sometimes you end up having to flush it twice to make sure it worked properly. And uh, the other thing I was going to mention too is that uh, when we were dealing with our water water uh, loss for a couple of days there, is the uh, it's amazing how much toilets actually do use. You know, and we had like a little antique kind of porcelain ewer that we're using to fill the the toilets up and stuff. But uh, yeah, five gallons of flush it, it the water disappears fast. So uh, I'd highly recommend getting a if you do have a chance to change out to a low flow toilet if you're in the uh, rural environment. Oh, yeah. good ones. Or use the old standby. If it's yellow, let it mellow. Yeah. We were doing that too, yeah. And if it's not minus thirty, just go pee behind the shed. Doesn't it when we're sitting on fire? Yeah, yep, dig, it, dig well. an outhouse. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, the the forgotten aspect of preparedness too, I guess, animal needs. So even if it's just your dog or whatever have you, your fish, whatever, you know, they're all going to end up uh, needing water sooner or later too. So if you have to put Especially some such, yeah, the fish, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, go, they drink it like water, man. Yep. So uh, yeah, no, for sure. It's something to think about as far as extra requirements. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a, my family goes to a cottage up in, uh, on the edge of Algonquin Park in Ontario every year. And um take their water they took their water right out of the lake this year when we were up there it was uh it was all under all under advisory you couldn't use it couldn't even use it for we weren't supposed to use it for uh for dishwashing um we put some bleach in the, in the sink and then added soap but um four of us in august it was a pretty hot summer and we were going through um we were going through a five gallon jug every day um, cooking, cleaning, all that, all that good stuff. So it's just one of those things that really put it into perspective. Cause I mean, we've been told two liters a day, you know, over and over and over again, but when you actually have to rely on two liters a day, it doesn't go very far. No, I mean, I, I've gone camping in, you know, the, the mountains in Utah where there's no, no shade in, you know, July. And I mean, I was going through way more than two liters a day. Oh, sure. You know, I think at one one day, I think I drank something like six liters of water or more just because I was sweating so much. Like, and that's not even cooking and on or cleaning anything. It was just drinking water. Wow. I remember one time working in a, in a, in a parking lot. It was, I was doing a, a, a job that required us to be out at a, at a control gate for a truck facility. And it was, you know, 45 degrees in full sun and there was no shade all around us. We were, the heat was reflecting off the tarmac. And I think everybody on the team drank seven, seven or nine liters and didn't, didn't pee once the entire day. We were just sweating it out so quickly. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. And, uh, Canada day, I was, uh, volunteering. I wasn't even out that long. And I think I drank something like four liters of water in a few hours. And yeah, same thing. It was like I wasn't peeing because I was sweating it out so much. That's funny how your environment can uh, can, can dictate how much water you have to actually drink, what you're going to go yeah. through. This is probably a good time to mention the the, the indicators, right? I mean, we uh, we know we have to drink water, but when do we need to do, drink more water? And um, the big one, if it's yellow, let it mellow, right? If uh, you're, you're, the color of your urine is the best indicator of your level of hydration, the darker it is, the more water you need to drink. So, uh, I've always said, dark is bad, absent is worse. If you're if you're at that level of uh, dehydration where your your urine is any more than you know the color of diluted apple juice, then it's time to get more water on board. Yeah. This is by, by the time you feel thirsty, you're actually already like eight percent dehydrated or yeah. something. There's actually like a figure out there, but 
it's uh, like by the time you're actually thirsty, it's it's time to really really get on fixing that right off the bat. Yeah, it should should almost be clear if you're actually drinking enough. Like you actually should, I think. But yeah, yeah. But you can you have to be careful though because you can drink too much water, and it can actually be just as dangerous as not drinking enough water. Is that hyperhidrosis or something like that. Yeah, like it, it can really mess with you, and it, it can be fatal. Um, like it messes up your body pH and all kinds of stuff like that. Now, I mean, you're gonna have to drink so much of it that like it probably hurts, but you know, it, it, it happens often with with kids at sporting events and stuff like that because their coaches are like, "It's hot out, hydrate, drink this water," and they just keep forcing them to drink water and drink water and drink water. So. I mean, it, it, it's rare, but it, it happens. Yeah, something to, to be aware of because people always think about, yeah, dehydration. Yeah, you never really consider overhydration. Yeah. Well, the other thing that you, the other thing to think of too when you're when you're hydrating is that we we sweat more than just water. So make sure if you're if you are being active and you are taking care of your water that you're replacing the electrolytes that you're losing as well. So the sodium, potassium, uh, magnesium, um, little the uh, Electrolyte tabs or Gatorade or Gatorade powder or whatever. Um, another good thing to keep on hand when you're uh, when you're not drink when you're not in your normal routine. Yeah. yeah if you buy uh, if you buy MREs, especially the American ones, they come with a little bag of electrolyte powder. Yeah. It's like budget Kool Aid, isn't it, or something like that? Or budget Pretty Gatorade. much, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they can't pay for the brand name stuff, so they get the uh, the knockoff stuff. But uh, it comes in handy every time I, I open up an MRE that I and I don't use that. I just tuck it away in my sort of go bag so that I've got some. So any flavor to it at all? Yeah, it's uh, it's usually like the uh, like the the lemon lime one. Hmm. I seem to have fruit fruit punch in the MREs I had when I was younger. Yeah, really? they've changed over the years. <laughs> that's yeah, if you, use that stuff, uh, if you use that stuff and you put it in your, your, your camelback, you definitely need to clean it out more frequently. Yeah. Yes, oh, absolutely. Well, Ian, it's time to move on to the podcast challenge. All righty, so podcast challenge for tonight uh, should be relatively inexpensive for everybody. Um, I just suggested buying a one-gallon jug of unscented bleach or a package of pool shock, I think, for eight bucks on Amazon, or just whatever your personal preference is for uh, basically uh, disinfecting the water. And then uh, just with your own materials around the house, uh, the other part of the challenge is to figure out one way to filter water with your supplies on hand. So at least get the dirt out of it. So whether it just be, like I said, paper coffee filters and a plan or, or something, like that, just make sure you have some sort of plan in place. Awesome. If you do uh, complete the podcast challenge, make sure to send an email in, let us know uh, how you completed it. And the fact that you did uh, anything that went well, anything that didn't go well, uh, anything you learned, I uh, can let us know at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. We'll take some time for some shout outs. All right. I've never met them before, but uh, the two uh, people that wrote the little article in the local newspaper here that I put in the show notes, uh, Patricia Robitaille and Robert Moran. So uh, even though I don't really like, you know, referencing the CBC very much, be, uh, but uh, hey, it was a, actually a decent article that somebody sent to me. So non-preppers who improvised and overcame without sitting around waiting for others to help them. So uh, they did get a lot of hate mail on their uh, their commentary, which I found funny because most of the guys were like, well, I'm way tougher than that. I do way better than that. But consider these people were starting from zero. Uh, in the space of a couple of days, they actually came out 
fairly ahead compared to everybody else around there. So I thought it was pretty pretty worthwhile. They didn't die. It's a win. It's a win for sure. Yep. Uh, so I've got a shout out to uh, Terry Blackmore. He's the uh, author of Anagenic Shift. Got the book right here. Uh, if you haven't already grabbed a copy of his book, I've uh, put a link in the show notes. You can grab it on Amazon. Uh, I happen to have a signed copy of the book that I'm planning on holding on to for a while, and I'll, I'll sell it for millions one day. But uh, it's worth checking out. Do it read. Uh, and we'll get into some uh, some listener email. Uh, so first off, if you want to send in a question, uh, suggest a topic for the show, or just give us some general feedback, whether it's uh, positive, negative, or anywhere in between, uh, feel free to send an email into feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, and uh, we'll make sure to read it out on the next show. So we've got uh, one email in since the last episode. Uh, it says, hey guys, just caught up with your recent first aid episode, and I just wanted to let you know my experience with the Red Cross. I took my certification in April 2018, and they did do a hands-on training with commercial tourniquets. Uh, they used the actual cats, but only applied them to paint rollers. Uh, so they were smaller than what you would normally deal with and had no clue as to how tight you actually needed them to go. Uh, thankfully, they taught them correctly and told you not to loosen them or remove them, but the subject was over quickly. Uh, keep up the great work with the podcast. All the best. Better Andrew. He also mentioned uh, a few things that uh, we could implement during the show. Uh, so we're going to do our best to make sure to, to do that for some future episodes. And uh, thanks for the suggestions. Do we have a second to talk about that? Yeah, yeah I, do, I, do sure. I do teach for the Red Cross. That is something that we do teach in every in every class. I'm actually um, getting ready for one on the weekend. Um, when, when we first rolled that out, um, it was a thing where if anybody volunteered, we could actually apply it to somebody and then check a pulse and demonstrate it. Uh, and then the Red Cross said, no, there's, uh, there's, too, mu there's too much potential to do uh, vascular damage, which I'm not convinced that that's the case. But um, I think there was, there was pushback against actually putting that on somebody because, um, because of the, 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 potential, the potential damage. Um, so now we're, we're actually not allowed to teach that. We're not, allowed to, we're not allowed to apply it in real-world situations. Uh, um, sounds lawyer. like lawyers got involved. It, it, yeah. really, it really does, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, so, I, I, I mean, I have some experience with this stuff, too. So, Andrew, that was on the, the first aid one, uh, is, is the owner of Ragnarok and an instructor with me. And actually, better Andrew that wrote this email, uh, all three of us took a TCCC class together. Okay. Um, we applied, you know, for those that don't know, tactical combat casualty care, uh, tourniquets to ourselves and others multiple, multiple times throughout the day. Um, there is the perceived notion that putting one on can cause all kinds of nerve damage and muscle damage and all of that stuff, but it, it doesn't. I mean, it's very, 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 very rare that that would happen. I mean, you'd have to severely over-tighten it or leave it on for, like, more than four to six hours. As a general uh, description, without this being legal advice or first aid advice yeah. on the, yes. but uh, uh, as a general uh, instruction, guys, uh, when you're when you're twisting the cat on, uh, basically, you, like, can you just give me a general idea? Like, wait till the guy screams and two more loops or, or two more twists or <laughs> how would you describe he's, it? He's probably already screaming. <laughs> yeah. You turn off the tap, right? The, you, the indicator yeah. is a lack of blood flow. When the, when the blood stops, yeah. flowing, stop turning. Yeah. yeah. Okay, or if you, can, if you can't tighten it anymore, yeah. then you can stop. Yeah, and then, yeah, don't, don't loosen it. Don't take it off. 
if it starts squirting blood again, put another one on above the one that's already on there. Okay. And mark the time, right? Yeah. Mark the time. And if you have to apply more than one, then mark the time of each one yeah. individually. Yeah. And but yeah, I'm also, glad they're finally starting to teach that stuff. But and it, it's interesting because the like the Red Cross teaches that. that that's something that only started earlier this year. Yeah. Last year. St. John Ambulance still doesn't teach that even at their advanced level. Yeah. I was say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They still don't teach it. I, I've taken the St. John's Ambulance one at that level, and I asked my instructor about tourniquets, and um, they didn't even know what I was talking about. And so, because you know, twenty years ago, when I when I when I started teaching, um, and when I started taking and, and learning more about this, we we taught we tourniquets. It was all improvised, of course. It was just a triangular bandage and a stick. But um, yeah, back then it was a thing, and then they did away with it, and then it's well, yeah, yeah I, I did my, my you know wilderness emergency first aid one many years ago, and we learned how to improvise. Yeah, you know, your your neckerchief and a stick. Right. Yes. And then I, yes. and then I go take what's supposed to be, yeah, the, the first responder level one. And it's like the instructor didn't even know what I was talking about. I was like, how do you not know what I'm talking about? Like you use tourniquets in surgery. When you take my blood, you put a tourniquet on. Like I get maybe saying, Hey, we don't teach that because of liability and being honest about it. But to, to just flat out, deny that they <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous like, and that that often that often speaks to the uh the experience of the teacher too and that's that's another thing to take yeah. in consideration with your with with where you're teaching your training is what is the experience of the instructor yeah but luckily i am glad to see that finally one of the major organizations has started teaching it and then they've also uh, stopped the bleed is another one that's starting to do that and i'm uh, looking at getting put on as an instructor for that stuff so we'll I'm actually be able to we'll hear the same thing yeah there is some some hoops to jump through for those guys for sure yeah so. which is good I, I, I want, yeah who doesn't know what a tourniquet is to be to be teaching this stuff yeah um did you get any itunes reviews at all eric yeah, so uh, we don't have any new iTunes views uh, since the last episode. We are still at the last comment from the Sasquatch Research Scientist, which I still think is a great username. Uh, however, we do have a few Podbean reviews. Uh, we do have, uh, we're up to nine ratings on iTunes. Uh, so we're up to eight five stars, and then we still got that one off uh, four star. But like I keep saying, we'll take it. Uh, Podbean. Uh, Admittedly, I haven't been uh, talking about those uh, reviews on the show. I should have been. Uh, we've been getting actually quite a bit on Podbean. Uh, we've got one from the last episode from the Torque Master, uh, appropriate because we're talking about tourniquets. Uh, it says, another excellent podcast with the wealth of good information on first aid training, knowledge, and gear. Keep up the great work, guys. So I guess I'll, uh, make sure also, to add the Podbean um reviews in the next episodes for sure and if anybody has any first aid questions or clarifications or whatever uh for sure bring them up i'm, I'm sure we got it looks like we have some resident experts here now so that could probably fine-tune another episode worth of first aid i'm sure absolutely we can talk for days yeah. just on that yep. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh yeah so i guess uh time for the outro i guess eh? time for the outro so uh, i'm going to bring episode number nine of the canadian prepper podcast to an end uh, I'd like to say thank you, Gavin and Alan, for, for coming out and being a part of this episode. Uh, I hope you'll come back for future episodes to, to share your knowledge with our listeners and make sure they've got somebody else to listen to besides just myself and Ian. Anytime. So uh, where can people find the show? 
You can find the show on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. So uh, please help us out. Take a few minutes and submit a review. Helps other people find us. You can also find us at prepperpodcast.ca. I did have to practice that to not stumble over it. Uh, YouTube live shows are now available. Please subscribe to the Island Retreat YouTube channel and click the notifications tab. That will give you alerts when we're going live. If you want to contact me, this is Ian speaking, directly, you can reach me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also occasionally find me giving my two cents worth on Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available at iTunes and YouTube. And uh, please check out Rapid Survival. It's at uh, rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat while buying some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca while you're still buying some prepper gear at Rapid Survival. Uh, thanks for joining us and tune in for the next episode. We're going to talk about ham radio and prepper communications. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. Keep learning.